Alright, I'd now like to invite Ed up to the front. Uh, we're going to hear from God's Word, but before we do that, I'll just ask him a few questions to get to know him. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about you. Are you a uni student here or, yeah, who are you? <laughs> no, I was a uni student for a while, uh, three years in England doing a degree in psychology and then three years here uh, studying uh, theology, uh, but no, I'm, I'm not a student currently. Uh, I, uh, I, work, I used to work for a church and I work for a non-profit trying to help people know Jesus in schools. Mm. Uh, so yeah, tell us a little bit about what you do in your day-to-day life. Um, you work for a non-profit helping people in schools. Yes, yeah, so that's um, uh, visiting schools, speaking in school chapels, helping with leadership teams with schools, you know, the school prefects and things like that, helping them realise that just because it says prefect and you squint, it says perfect, that's not true. Uh, and helping chaplains take an ancient faith and help it uh, make it uh, relevant for today uh, for youngsters in school because most of them are just thinking about what's happening next in maths or revising for a French test sequel underneath. So uh, helping them uh, bring the ancient faith into modern day life. Um, and so your family growing up, did you have like, where did you fit in your pecking order between your siblings and stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm the youngest of four. Um, so I'm the spoiled brat who got, uh, you know, later bedtimes, more pocket money, all the kind of benefits of that. Uh, but uh, we're, I, lo- I love my family. We were there just uh, over winter. We went back to the UK and um, uh, we're very proud of it, particularly my, my third brother. The, there's a sister, two, two boys and then me. Um, the, the, the middle boy, Tim, he was kind of addicted to drugs and things like that when he was uh, at school and ended up a, a little bit of time in prison. But he won an Oscar a couple of years ago. He did the sound on Dunkirk. Um, and so he's, uh, if people ever ask me, anything, you know, what, what's a, an interesting fact about you? I always tell people about him because uh, I'm, not, I'm not particularly interesting. Uh, but having a brother who works in Hollywood is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and so our mission for um, the Bible talks coming up here is where do I belong? Um, and so, yeah, why are you here speaking to us? Um, about that. Oh look, I cycled in just now. Um, uh, I worked just up the road in Shenton Park, and on the tunnel through, if you've noticed that kind of uh, the the pass thing underneath the thing that takes you under the the, the, the with the cycling, uh, and it's a, it's a, it's this question here: Where do I belong? It's all this stuff about belonging, uh, and it's trying to pitch that UWA. Basically, you belong better here than you will at Curtin Uni. That's basically what they're trying to pitch to do, because uh, if you're smart enough to go to either of those two, you probably won't end up with the other three or four. Uh, and so. Uh, it's trying to pitch that you belong here, and the reason I think it's so important to talk about it is because all the things that it's saying that will make you belong is basically our architecture's a little bit older, and the river's right there. Uh, and that's what it's trying to hang its hat on in terms of belonging, and I just feel that's not quite enough. Uh, and we do struggle with belonging uh, in uh, everyday life, and uh, I wonder whether COVID had a deep impact. Uh, Perth was pretty lightly hit. Uh, in terms of restrictions and stuff, but I was in England when it happened. We actually moved over here during that time. We got to spend two weeks in a hotel, thanks to your parents' taxpayers' dollars. Uh, and, uh, and in that moment there in England, a whole swathe of society was told, you are not a significant employee of this organisation. People are told, look, if you just belong to a business, uh, belong to a company, and that's who you are, that's meaning in life, and you'll work and work and work, and then you'll retire, and then you'll die. But that belonging you had in your job, that's real belonging. And a bunch of people were told, I'm afraid you're actually just not that important. Uh, we're going to substitute 80% of your wage. You stay home, uh, watch uh, The Last Dance about Michael Jordan uh, and Tiger King, and basically uh, wear a mask. And, and that's, that's your new identity. And people now struggling three years later saying, well, I'm back at this job, uh, and I... St- but I've been told I'm not an essential person. Uh, where do I belong now? And that's why it's so important we're looking at, uh, at Jesus as we look at uh, this ancient text, 2,000-year-old book, best-selling book every year it's been published. 
uh, and we look at just one book within the book called Matthew, four of the accounts written about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Matthew's the first of those, so we're just going to have a little look at that. And we're in chapter 19, so the, the big book's divided into 66 books, each of those books is divided up into smaller bits. Uh, so we're in chapter 19, that's the big number 19, on page 687 as someone said. And we're starting at a little sentence 16, verse number 16. As we look at this fascinating story of this rich young man who really is looking for belonging. And one of the reasons you may pick this uni is because you, th- you did think to yourself, look, I'm going to belong here at uh, UWA. And I do, we're, we're telling our kids already, look, go to UW. Uh, partly it's close by to where we live, but partly we do think it's slightly better than others, isn't it? Uh, and uh, and uh, in England, though, of course, you leave home a lot more to go to uni. You, you kind of pack up your bags, age, age 18, and you ship off somewhere else. And I really wanted to go to Leeds University when I was at school. And there was one reason for that, Kate Latimer. She was going there, and I wanted to be with Kate Latimer. Uh, she wasn't my girlfriend, but I, I was sure she was, uh, we were destined to be. Uh, and so uh, 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 you, you'll be uh, proud to find out now we've both been married for 15 years to different people. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, and uh, my, uh, my, he- my head of my house, my kind of tutor group, whatever you, whatever you call it over here, uh, wrote home to my parents six months before the A-levels. That's what you have in England. Instead of your atar wasty thing, you have your A-levels, your advanced levels, and you take three or four subjects and do some exams. And I-, I wanted to get to Leeds University. For Leeds Uni, I needed two A's and a B. And so the deputy head, who was my tutor, wrote to my parents. And it was a private school, so they were paying money for me to go there. It wasn't just some freebie. They were saying, look, he, is, he has absolutely not got what it takes to get two A's and a B, which therefore meant I haven't got what it takes to be with Kate Latimer, which it turned out was true anyway. <laughs> and so it was a private school. My parents were pretty strict. And so uh, I, I, you know, pulled my socks up. Two A's and a B is what I needed. And I pulled my socks up. I worked really hard for this last six months. I ended up getting three A's. No, I didn't. I spent my gap year retaking the three C's I got that summer and ended up studying psychology at Exeter University. I never had what it takes to get to Leeds University. Just like I'm worried my kids actually won't have what it takes to get to UW. I'm sure they'll be very happy at Murdoch. He didn't ha- I didn't have what it takes for Kate Latimer, for Leeds University. And this man here in our story today is another guy who says, I don't have what it takes. He's running up to Jesus. And he runs up to Jesus and he says this in verse 16, the first sentence of chapter 19. If you've closed it, it's page 687. A man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This man runs up to Jesus and he calls him teacher. In the old language, he calls him rabbi, which I used to think was plural of rabbit. It's not. Rabbi means teacher. And he runs up and he shows terrific respect for Jesus. He has respect for him. He calls him teacher. And the question is, would that be enough? He doesn't think he's got enough. Would that be enough? No, because our first point this uh, lunchtime is going to be having respect is not enough. Having respect is not enough. The man runs up to Jesus and perhaps... (laughs) A little bit out of breath, having run up to him, red in the face, and he's uh, puffed out. Or maybe he's just red in the face because he's embarrassed by the huge crowd that have surrounded this conversation. He talks to Jesus. He asks him, what must I do? And he calls him teacher. Uh, But for Jesus, being called teacher is not enough. He doesn't just say, you've had the respect that I need. Thank you very much. Now go on your way. You'll be fine. Instead, Jesus replies, verse 17, the next sentence, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. The man shows respect, but Jesus has a problem with that. In Jesus' mind, and in the Jewish thought of the day, God is over here in the good good category. Everyone else is over here in the not good category. 
So to call Jesus teacher and ask him about what is good, you're kind of putting him in between the God-good category and the normal everyone else, like me and you category. And Jesus says, no, you can't just call me a good teacher and put me somewhere in the middle. Having respect is not enough, he is saying to this man. Either Jesus is God over here in the good category and thus can talk about the good things he wants to know, or he's just like me and you and isn't really a teacher and doesn't know anything about what is good. He's a nobody or he's everything. So respect for Jesus is not enough. We cannot just nod and smile at some of Jesus' teachings and receive gifts on his birthday like we do every Christmas or eat too much chocolate every day on the weekend of his death like we do at Easter and just say, well, I respect you. You've got some lovely things to say. No, Jesus won't allow us to keep him in the middle. Jesus wants to be clear. Respect is not enough to get eternal life. This is, after all, what the man wants. He wants eternal life. He knows he hasn't got it yet. He hasn't done enough. So Jesus gives him some ideas. Verse 17, look, if you want to enter life, Jesus says to the man, keep the commandments. Jesus gets it. Eternal life is a good thing to want. It would be nice, wouldn't it? He understands this man's desire for, uh, to enter life. Sounds like something we'd all like a chunk of, to have life. And the rest of the story unpacks what the man wants. And there are different words for the same thing. Verse 16, eternal life. Verse 17, he wants life. Verse 21, he wants treasure in heaven. Verse 23, it's the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, the kingdom of God. Verse 25, he wants to be saved. So whenever you hear Christians using funny different uh, little uh, um, uh, words for different things, it's all the same stuff. Being saved, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, treasure in heaven, it's all one thing. When I die, I don't want that to be it. I want to go somewhere else and it to be awesome. I want life, he's saying. That's the issue. But he knows he has not got enough. He wants all those things. And I imagine so do we. People paste on makeup like face paint because we've been told it's age-defying. But what we really want is something that is death-defying. As Ricky Gervais said at the Golden Globes a couple of years ago, uh, to keep celebrities' speeches short, he said, look, we'll soon be dead and there's no sequel. But we live and care like that isn't true. We'll soon be dead and there's no sequel, but we don't live like it. Deep down, we want to have a life because we're searching for life, for something that will last forever. And so Jesus does not come to entertain or to be a teacher, but actually to save us. That's why respect isn't enough. Just being a teacher is too small of a solution for too big of a problem like life that lasts forever. So Jesus wants to see where this man's thinking is up to on these things. So he said, look, he's got respect, clearly. He calls me a teacher. But does he have a right life? Is he right? So Jesus tells the man, obey the commandments. Now, there were hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament. Most countries nowadays have their laws written loosely around these sorts of things. Uh, but the man thinks there's so many, which laws are you hoping I'm going to have kept? Uh, it'd be like a, a lecturer at a university saying, uh, have you kept all the laws here? Because there's so many, it's really hard to keep track of them. In fact, it's quite easy to break a few. There's a story of a guy who uh, arrived 15 minutes late for a, uh, a big final exam. There were six, 700 people in a huge hall, a bit like your, uh, your fancy hall down here with the, big, uh, with the big windows. And everyone sat there. He arrives 15 minutes late. He sneaks in, puts his bag at the back, sits down, and, uh, and the exam's two hours long. After two hours, the examiner says, 
Um, okay, pens down, please. Everyone finished. Unless, of course, if you've got extra time for various learning reasons. And this guy thinks, well, it's 15 minutes late. I'll stay for the extra 15. It won't be a big deal. Uh, and so uh, at the end, everyone else trying to trickles out. There's 10 or 15 people left. And in the exam, he's hoping that he can just get by and just assume that they, he, you know, he had some sort of learning uh, extra need. And so he walks up to the end, and everyone else has got a kind of a fancy letter. Uh, to, to show why they're allowed the extra time. And, and this guy comes to the front with his exam paper and says, excuse me, have you got uh, permission for extra time? This guy thinks, help, this is all good. So he says, uh, excuse me, do you know who I am? The lecturer says, no. He says, great. Picks up the part of exam papers, shoves his right in the middle and walks away. Uh, it's easy to break the university rules and it's easy to break God's law. So he wants to know which of the commandments am I supposed to obey? And so he says, which of these, he inquired in verse 18, crack those and he's going to be in. So Jesus replied, uh, the main kind of big ones that we'd all hit. Jesus replied in verses 18 and 19, sentence 18 and 19. You shall not murder, commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honour your father and mother, love your neighbour as yourself. Seems like a pretty standard set of rules. Has this man done enough to get eternal life? Have you done enough? Have we done enough? No, because secondly, being right isn't enough. Having respect isn't enough. Being right isn't enough either. Uh, I used to run a, a youth group at a church in England, and we had this great little kid called Charlie. He was quite different from the rest of them. He was this uh, uh, short, rotund little lad. He was great and cheeky and always full of fun and stories about how he got into trouble at school uh, that week. And so I, he was there one Thursday night, and I said, Charlie, uh, how was school today? Did you get in any trouble for anything? He said, uh, he, was a, he was a sweet but clearly misunderstood young man. This. He said, oh, I got in trouble in science today. So why, Charlie? What happened? And he said, well, I went up to the teacher and said, uh, teacher, will I get in trouble for anything I haven't done? He said, of course you won't get in trouble for something you haven't done. And he says, great, because I haven't done my homework. Uh, and <laughs> ended up having to stay behind after science class. Uh, this kid, little Charlie, he was very sweet, but he'd done everything wrong. But this guy in the story, no way, he'd done everything right. Jesus lays out six commandments. This guy comes back to him, and it's the last thing he says in verse 20. All these I've kept, what do I still lack? This guy was no cheeky Charlie. He's done it all. He says he's done it all, at least. It's hard to tell if this man has been cocky, confident, or correct when he says he's done it all. He could be head boy, a good kid. The, uh, he's from the right side of the tracks. This man says he's right about all the rules all the time. Jesus says, only God is good. And this guy says, yeah, me too. He, he, he may have obeyed many laws, but he's using the law in the wrong way. So the law was there to design to show where the problems were, like an x-ray or like a mirror that shows you've got spinach in your teeth. This guy says, yeah, this shows me where I'm wrong. And then he picks the mirror up from the, 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 the bathroom wall, and then he starts to pick his teeth with it. He starts to correct his own problems by obeying the law, but being right is not enough. It never can be. He still has more to do. Trying to please God with good works by building some sort of ladder or tower up to him is like putting glasses on a blind man. It might change how things look from the outside, but of course it does not fix the problem at all. It's because the solution is so much worse than just being right. Being right isn't enough. That's why he says, I've done all these, but I still lack something. What is it? Being right cannot be enough. And that's why Jesus ends the conversation in verse 21. Verse 21 is the thumping heart of the passage. What is it that makes being right not enough? Verse 21. If you want to be perfect, he says to the man, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Being right is not enough. 
and neither is being rich. Jesus says you need to give it all away. Being rich is not enough either. Having respect is not enough. Being right is not enough. Neither is being rich. Jesus has just told this respectful right man that to be perfect, to meet the grade, to enter eternal life, you've got to give to the poor. Now Jesus is not saying, give away all your money and somehow that will be enough to inherit eternal life. Look, you've obeyed all the commandments, you just need one more. You've got to give to the poor. Uh, as if somehow, if you're poor, you get to go to heaven for free forever. But if you're rich, I'm afraid you're just excluded. And that every rich Christian in the history of the world is now in hell and, and failed the task at hand. It can't be that. Because imagine this guy here in this story. He has all of his money in a big kind of comedy bag full of gold coins. And it's a swag on it. And he's walking back down the road. And he sees nine homeless, very poor people. And he thinks, well, those guys must all be going to heaven. Because they're poor. That's what Jesus said. And I'm rich. I don't want... I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to have this bag of money with me. So I'm going to come and join these guys. So he sits down in this bizarre circle now of 10 homeless people. They've got a big bag of cash. And he thinks to himself, well, I, I've just heard what Jesus said. If you're rich, you go to hell. And if you have the money, you go to heaven. So he passes it to the guy next to him. He thinks, well, I don't want that. I just heard what Jesus said as well. I don't want to go to hell, so I don't want the money either. And this kind of anti-pass the parcel at a kid's birthday party gets passed around the circle of these 10 homeless people till eventually... Jesus comes back, the one guy with the money goes to hell, the other nine go to heaven, and it's all like, it can't be that, can it? It's ridiculous. So what is Jesus saying? Being rich isn't enough. But neither is being poor. So what's the problem? It's that he had another God in his life. This man should have had God as his God, but he had money as his God instead. Money was the thing running his life, and so it's ruining his life. Money will become a monster inside of us that gets out of control. Money justified his existence. That was what he truly worshipped with his every breath. Money was his dream, and it's like Jesus is saying, you've even got to give up your dreams when you come to me. You know money's a false god for him, because when he has to lose it, he's lost when he's asked to give it away, verse 22, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Saying this guy was rich was like an insult to millionaires. It was a god to him. His wealth gave him worth. His money made him matter. The size of his account made him count. The guy treats Jesus as good, but he treats his money as God. So when he's asked to give it away, he can't. His real God is exposed and he can't let go, so he goes away sad. We know this because Jesus listed six of the commandments, those little rules that he said, but he missed out the first and vital one. That goes something like this. Love God with everything and have no other gods first ahead of him. And that's the one he didn't obey. He didn't have God as God. He may have been really good and obeyed all the other little rules. But he didn't have God as God. He had his money as his God. There can only be one true God in everyone's life. We heard about that just now. For this guy, it was money. What is it for us? There's a struggle for our dreams. And Jesus is saying, I even want them. There's a monster in our heart that is out of control. Something that we love first and most but instead it has to be last and least. Otherwise, we'll be last. We'll miss out. There's something other than God running our lives, and it's ruining our lives. 
For this guy, it was money. That's what gave him ultimate joy and satisfaction. What will it be for us? What makes us think we're first? Respect? Riches? Being right? Is it waist size or wallet? Friends, family, football, freedom? Success or status? Treasure, pleasure or leisure? Something that if asked to lose it, it would make us walk away from Jesus sad. What if asked to lose would make us lost? Because there's a danger. That's become a monster. A God other than the true God. It's got control and we're out of control. It's running our lives and ruining our lives. And we cannot inherit God's kingdom with another God as king. Philosophers since Cicero have talked about this thing called the summum bonum. Within my psychology degree, there's a little bit of philosophy. I didn't gather most of it, but this is one thing that stuck. And it's the greatest good in a person's life. It's their Everest. It's their, the epoch of their existence, their summum bonum. Now, the term was used in medieval times, and even Kant uh, talked about it as well, to describe the ultimate importance, the singular and overriding end which human beings ought to pursue. And we see that for this guy, his summum bonum, his greatest good, his ultimate existence was in this life. And it was his money, it was his riches, his being right, his having respect. Jesus highlights that's what it is because he says, hey, give it away. And he can't. And that reveals what his summum bonum is. So it seems pretty clear that the rich man loved money. And therefore he could not have loved God. Money was his summum bonum, his greatest end. And that can't lead to life because it will die with him. And the test here for us is, as we consider, what is my summum bonum? Is, well, can I share that thing? Can I share my relationships or are they so much to me that I dare not let anyone else into them in case they get ruined and I'm ruined? Or can I share my leisure time? My pleasure, or is it become a little heaven to me that I'm scared others will just ruin? Or is it like this guy here, money, seen not just in my standard of living, but my standard of giving? The thing that I daydream about in lectures is, oh, I can't wait for this to be over, the degree to be over, so I can start earning the big dollars. That's become a summum bonum to us, my ultimate thing, my eternal life, my God. And this is vital that we get this thing right, because if it's not God that's our God, then it's going to die with us. It will not be life to us, but take life from us. Jesus says it's so impossible for us to be saved from another God being in charge. It's like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle, he says, in this rather ridiculous illustration. Uh, And look, the CU budget, I'm afraid, wouldn't stretch to a camel, so I've just brought one of my kids' little donkeys that they've got. Um, But hopefully this still makes the point. Uh, And I've got a needle here. And what it is, is is that he's saying, look, camels, even little toy donkeys, are too, too big to get through eyes of needles. Like a rich man trying to enter eternal life because the the money is the God to him. Because camels are just too big and needles are just too small. In fact, needles are so small, I'm not actually even holding one. That's how small they are. It's impossible for someone who has another God than God to be with God forever because what they have as their God will die with them. And therefore it's impossible to go from life to death to life like it is for a camel to go through a needle. Even with like a really good liquidizer. You can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. It is impossible for us to be saved on our own. And this is vital. If we're going to rely on our riches 
or our respect or being right will be left out of eternal life. If we have our sin, as the Bible calls it, we don't get in. If we try and get into eternal life with other ultimate goods, other summum bonums, with other gods attached, it can't work like camels through needles. And so Jesus' closest friends, his disciples they're called, they, they hear this and they just think, hey, wait a minute, we've been following you for about two and a half years now. We've given up pretty decent careers in the fishing industry uh, to come and follow you. I, I thought the whole point was we should be right and respectful and maybe get a bit rich. What are, what are we doing here? This is impossible. If this respectful, right and rich man goes away sad and can't be saved and he's not going to have eternal life, what, 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 who then can be saved, they say in verse 25. What hope is there for us, they're wondering. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. We must do nothing. We can do nothing to get eternal life. And so, verse 26, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, With man, with you, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. It's impossible for us to be saved and inherit eternal life with our respect and riches and being right. We have too many monsters, too many other gods running our lives, too many other dreams. It's impossible. But it's possible for God to do it. It's possible for God to save us. That rather than us going up the ladder, he might come down to us instead. It's possible for God to save us when we cannot save ourselves. Riches, being right, having respect won't do it, but Jesus has. And so the invitation that in this week the CU is putting forward is simple and it's this. Would you like to belong? Would you like to belong to Team Jesus? But not where there's an entrance exam or a spiritual bleep test or a set of barriers to hurdle. But belong to Team Jesus by putting your hands up and saying, I, I surrender, I, it's over, I, I can't do it, I, I, I can do nothing to inherit eternal life. I don't deserve it, I can't gain it, I can't earn it. I'm 100% going to die one day and I 0% have chance of making it through that into life on my own. And that's such a great place to belong. Because whereas everything else that you do in your life, wherever you belong, you walk in and instantly rank everyone. You'll be in your lecture halls uh, this afternoon or tomorrow and you'll think to yourself, where do I fit in this class? You'll be in a social group and think, where do my clothes fit compared to everyone else? You'll be in your next employment and think, where does my salary fit compared to everyone else? You'll be in a sports club and think, how do I fit compared to everyone else? And if we're at the top, we'll be proud and annoying to be around. And at the bottom, we'll be depressed and despondent and horrible to be around. But this is the one place where there's, there's no entrance exam. Where to belong, you have to say, I actually bring nothing to the table. No riches. No respect. I'm not right. And that's a lovely place to belong. It's vulnerable. It's humbling. But wonderful. What this passage is saying is, is to this man, look, there's no I in Christianity. I, I, I know there's three. I, I mean... <laughs> There's no I in Christianity, but there is a Christ in Christianity. There's a Christ in Christianity. Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the King. He's in Christianity and he is always right. 
to make up for our wrongs. And he takes all of his wrongs on himself, sucks them up, takes them away and dies for them and, and rids the world of them as he dies on the cross. So we can now be seen as right. And Jesus had the respect of heaven and he left it all to be disrespected on earth his whole life. And he left the riches and the praise of heaven and the crown and the throne and he became one of us, poor, so that we might, as it were, one day be rich beyond our wildest dreams, walking on streets of gold in eternal life. So while it's impossible for us, it is entirely possible for God and his son, Jesus. You see, God isn't looking down on this poor man in the story and saying, look, give it all up to me and then, then you'll earn it. No, no, God comes down and as one of us looks up as someone who gave up more riches and respect and being right than us, any of us could ever fathom or more riches than Twiggy could ever dream of. And Jesus says, trust me, the view down here in poverty and humility, when all you have is my Father in heaven, that's wealth. That's real worth. That's real belonging. That's eternal life. So the invitation here from the Christian Union this week is whether you'd like to do a swap. Whether you'd like to swap your summum bonum. The ultimate good that you currently live for and think is life but will die with you. Would you ever let go of that? Let God forgive you for having that instead of him. We, we call that repentance. As you turn to God... To trust him. To have him be your dream. Your ultimate good. Your eternal life. Knowing that. Jesus has already walked the path from life to death to life again. For you. And before you. And belong to that, that team that is taking that path that Jesus has already trodden for us. Yes, it's impossible for us. But it's entirely possible for him. And he's already done it. So will you, will you turn and trust him? That's the invitation open to you this week. And we'd love to talk to you more about any questions, doubts, uh, uh, things you may have before you take that step. But if you'd like to take that step, please don't let that moment go by this lunchtime. Let's make that decision now uh, and chat to the person uh, who, who's brought you this lunchtime. It's been a treat to talk to you uh, this lunchtime. Hopefully I'll get a chance to see you again tomorrow.